Cornelius lobbied in speaking on today's gospel, has these words to say. The Pharisees were so blinded by their envy and hatred for Christ that when they could not deny his miracles so clearly attested, they slanderously said that they were magical and not wrought by power of God but by Beelzebub. They made Christ to be a magician who had a familiar demon by whose power he wrought miracles. St. Cyril said they dared this perverse assembly of wicked Pharisees to accuse Emmanuel of crime. They dared to slander his honor. Slandering another's honor. This sin, what are we talking about here? We are talking about detraction. Detraction from somebody else. And this happens today not just in words, as we see in today's gospel, but we also see this happening so often in today's modern society through modern means. Emails, tweets, blogs, and the commentaries that go on there. And we also see that in, in all these other manners in which people are passing along information. St. Alphonsus says, Oh, how frightful the account of which talebearers must render to God. The sores of discord are objects of abomination in his sight. We can define detraction as the unjust blackening of a good name of another who is not present. The unjust blackening of a good name of someone who is not present. First of all, it's an unjust act. We remember this one thing, if you remember anything from this sermon, that every man is entitled in justice to a good name. Every man is entitled to a good name. Because it robs a man of something that he has a right to, St. Thomas points these words out, quote, The greater the good taken away, the greater the injury. And while man's good is threefold, mainly the good of his soul, the good of his body, and the good of external things, a good name is not a good of the body and is not strictly a good of the soul. But a man's good name takes precedence of wealth because it is close to spiritual things. So it's close to spiritual things, and we can see why it's so important. So it doesn't rob him of life, and it doesn't rob him of grace. But it takes away his name, from his name, his honor, and his ability to live peaceably among other people. That's why it's so important. So what we may be saying may be true. It may be false. But if there is no serious reason for us to reveal the fault of another, the sin of another is also a sin. So the final aspect of this is it's when somebody is not present. It's different from reviling. Reviling is right to somebody's face. Detraction is behind their back. Now there are seven ways in which we can detract from a person's good name. We can say something which is false. We can exaggerate that which is said. We can expose something which is hidden. Or we could say something, we could say something that is good and try to turn it into something evil. Those are four ways we can do it directly. So first of all, by imputing something that's false, some false sin or some false fault of another. This is called calumny. When we are accusing something of somebody who did not do it and we know that they did not do it. This is calumny. A second way is called exaggeration when we exaggerate the true faults of the other. He's never around to help me. 
Is he really never around to help you? Or she's always nagging. Does she always nag? Or he doesn't do anything to support me. Is that really the case? He does not do anything to support me. Exaggerating is a type of detraction. Or when we reveal something which is hidden. We know something and then we reveal it. This is a a type of detraction. We take away again somebody's good name. She's not as nice as you think. Let me tell you what she did. Or the last way is when we judge some sort of good deed to be something evil. Oh, that person is only praying to look good, when in fact they're simply praying. So these are four ways of directly detracting from somebody. But we can also indirectly detract from somebody, where we deny or we gainsay the good of another. Well, I don't believe that. Or we simply say that, oh, they're doing that, but they're only doing it because they want this or that. So we gainsay or we deny a good that they've done. Or maliciously keeping silent when one not ought to say, when somebody should say something. For example, if somebody is talking about uh, somebody that, uh, that's in a position of authority, but, and it's false, and we know it to be false. But we don't like that person, so we keep our silence, even though we know that that's not true. Or we can indirectly do it by minimizing or coldly praising the thing that that person does. That wasn't such a big deal. Trying to minimize the good that the person does, that's indirect detraction. So how serious can we say that this sin can be? St. Thomas begins to answer this question when he points out these words. The essential gravity of sins committed against one's neighbor must be weighed by the injury that is afflicted upon him. Since it is from this that they derive their sinful nature, therefore backbiting, according to its genus, is more grievous, it's a more grievous sin than theft, but it's less grievous than murder or adultery. St. Thomas Aquinas. And this is because it strikes at the man's good name. Again, every man in justice has a right to a good name. So what about the seriousness of the sin? Well, the seriousness can be looked at simply by what is revealed. We can consider if we are revealing something that's serious, then obviously it has a serious nature. If it's going to blacken a person's good name, if it's going to blacken it among others, then it is, generally speaking, a mortal sin. If, if there's no reason to do so. Then if there's no serious reason to do so. And remember, the reason has to be also proportional to the thing that is being revealed. Then finally, if it's something light, something that might tarnish a person's good name, then it is, generally speaking, venial. But it can be mortal if we use some form of speech that can cast serious derision upon another person. For example, if you knew what I knew about that person, you might blush. Or if you say, I know things that no one suspects of him. Planting seeds, serious seeds, of, uh, of detraction in another person's mind, trying to cause them to think badly of another. There are many things I know about that person, but charity bids me to keep quiet. Or we see sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes people use uh, things that are holy, prayer. 
They say, oh, pray for, pray for this person. They did this, this, and this, and this, and they go on to list all the things. Rather than simply say, can you pray if they're going through a rough time? Or saying, can you pray for someone I know? They are struggling with this and this and this. We do not have to, quite often, reveal the faults of the other person. St. Alphonsus says, to render their calumnies more credible, sometimes people of the world sometimes begin to praise and end with slander. Such a person, they say, has a great deal of talent, but he's proud. Or they might say, he's very generous, but at the same time, very vindictive. Normally, it is not grave if one says of another, he is proud or she's vain, for that only denotes a propensity towards something. St. Thomas sums up by saying, the accidental gravity of sin is to be considered in relation to the sinner who sins more grievously. If he sins deliberately, then he sins through weakness or carelessness. On this respect, sins of the word have a certain levity insofar as they are apt to occur through slip of the tongue and without much forethought. So sometimes they might slip. But remember our Lord himself, what he says about those who even say an idle word. This is the gospel of St. Matthew. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall render an account for on the day of judgment. Every idle word. The meaning of this is explained by St. Jerome. Quote, If he who speaks an idle word, which by no means edifies the hearers, is not without peril to him who speaks it, and if the day of judgment everyone shall give an account of his words, how much more shall he who blasphemed the works of the Holy Ghost, and they that say that he cast out devils through Beelzebub, give an account for their calumny? Again, like idle words, so too every idle thought, wish, action, at least, at least the least which is venial. So we see that those idle words also, we are going to also uh, pay an account for. But there is also another class of detraction which we should consider. But this comes from the intention of the person who is speaking. There is an example in the life of St. Alphonsus Liguori of his, one of his houses in which four of the Redemptorists were preaching a mission. And there they had preached so effectively that they had converted so many souls and they broke some relations of some sinful relations. And certain people were upset, those who were on the other side. And this is related. The devil, jealous of the good which was being done in this house, made use of an ecclesiastic of bad character. This unfortunate man had an accomplice who had become a penitent of Father Rossi and was turned from her evil ways. The libertine tried to lead her back to sin, but finding that all his efforts were in vain, he swore to revenge, be revenged on those who had snatched his victim from him. At, from that time forth, he never ceased to calumniate the fathers and to excite the passions of the people against them. The revenues of the house consisted as it had been said, of four chaplaincies, each of which brought a, a, a charlin a day. The meager subsidy supplied them, but people began speaking against this. And they found others also to follow in this attack. Well, we can see how they ended. For it is related later, the guilty woman, who had not hesitated to accuse Alphonsus himself, 
and his brethren before the courts of the public died with her tongue eaten away by worms and in such a way of decomposition that holy viaticum could not be administered to her. Remorse prompted her at the last moment to confess publicly that her accusations had been a tissue of calumnies. Nicholas Marsacci, one of those who had taken part in the plot, also died shortly afterwards in despair, uttering the most frightful cries. Signor Peter Irodola, the suborner of false witnesses, whose testimony he drew up himself, had his hand withered. Anthony Marcello, who had perjured himself several times for a sack of grain, died impenitent without a priest or sacraments. All the contemporaries affirm that not a single one of the authors of the accomplices of the persecution escaped divine vengeance. And that poor ecclesiastic that brought it up, he was given a chance by Almighty God. Lightning struck at his feet in which he passed out, but yet he would not change. And then he was found one day in his blood. We can see why it is so difficult to, uh, to, to move these men. Because what they are trying to do with whispering, and this is the class of sin, is to try to separate the friendship of two people. We see this in the gospel today. The Pharisees and the scribes are attacking our Lord. They're trying to separate the people from our Lord. The most intimate friendship that we are supposed to have with our Lord, and they are attacking it. So we can see how serious it is. St. Thomas says, Those who detract Christ by hindering the faith of his members disparage his Godhead, which is the foundation of our faith. Wherefore, this is not simply backbiting, but blasphemy. So it was serious in this case. But also we see that anyone who seeks to break up the, the friendship of another has also that extra sin of whispering. Well, what about listening to detraction? What about those people that simply listen? We may say, I don't detract, but I have no problem listening to it. Well, St. Thomas says, if a man listens to backbiting without resisting it, he seems to consent to the backbiter so that he becomes a participator in his sin. So we have an obligation then to resist this backbiting as well. St. Thomas says that we should correct it in certain ways. And how do we do it? Again, St. Thomas Aquinas. One should not always resist a backbiter by seeking to convince him of the falsehood, especially if he knows that what he is speaking is the truth. Rather, one should reprove him with words, point out that he sins in backbiting of his brother, or at least our, show a pain demeanor that we are displeased with his backbiting. St. Alphonsus, speaking to nuns, also gives us certain advice. He says, Be careful neither to encourage her uncharitableness, nor to appear pleased with her language. Otherwise, you will partake in her guilt. You should either reprove her or change the subject of conversation, or withdraw from her, or at least pay no attention to her. St. Alphonsus says, Wherever you hear a person speak ill of others, it is necessary to show at least by silence, by a gloomy countenance, or by downcast eyes, that you are not pleased with the conversation. So what if we have participated in the detraction of others? 
Well, we have an obligation. Because it's injustice that every man has a right to a good name, we have an obligation to try to restore that name as best as we can by saying something good about them, by trying to correct what we said. St. Francis de Sales finally gives us some very easy rules when we should consider when we are speaking. First of all, ask ourselves, what is the motive for me to speak? Why am I saying this? We should ask, to whom am I speaking? Should I have more respect for the person I'm speaking to? Children, do you have respect when you speak to your parents? Or does somebody who is speaking to a priest or a bishop? Or who are we speaking to? We ask ourselves. And then that will also give us a rule of how we are to speak. The time or place. Is it the right time to speak? Is it the right place to say what I am about to say? And then consider the manner in which I speak. Am I speaking with simplicity, with humility, with sweetness, and with moderation? These things are important because we consider that our Lord has given us the power of speech. What are we giving back to God through it? Consider how our Lord acted. If any of us have been affected by detraction or calumny, consider how our Lord acts. See how humble He is. See how He knew all of those people. Being God, He knew exactly what everybody had done. And did He return the detraction with pointing out the faults of theirs? How are we acting? How do we use the gift that God has given us of speech to praise Him or to tear down? Our Lord is very clear. Learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us.